I feel there's such a amazing quality about being a creative because you can document history in such an interesting way, mm. you know, creating pictures or creating sculptures like that tells you what a society was like, a culture was like. And that's just mind blowing to me. Hi, I'm Allison Galloway Gonzalez, and this is Purple Crayon. Today's guest is Mark Mervin. Mark is a multimedia designer and a lover of cartoons and video games. The Florida native trained in animation at Jacksonville University, and Mark's single-player campaign, or career as he calls it, (laughs) uh, led him to design and animate for news broadcast and local startups. Mark's tenure in broadcast led him to an Emmy award-winning documentary. Currently, and what we'll talk about a little bit today, is that Mark teaches digital media at Florida State College of Jacksonville. He's also an advocate of art and design education for marginalized and underrepresented youth, and some of his work includes serving as the public education ambassador for the Jacksonville Public Education Fund, speaking about equitable representation in arts education at TEDx FSCJ, and leading the Education and Community Committee for AIGA's Diversity Inclusion Task Force on the national level. So I'm really excited. We're going to have a lot to talk about, which we (laughs) discussed earlier. But um, welcome, Mark. I'm really excited for you to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm super excited to be here. Super excited. Great. So um, I'll just give a little background. I um, was a live audience member uh, for a recording right here at WJCT uh, around arts education, and Mark was one of the panelists. And I was very impressed um, listening to him uh, sort of talk in that space. So I I went up to him afterwards and introduced myself. And uh, I knew that our paths would cross again. And then when we started doing this podcast, I went, I'm going to cold call Mark. (laughs) See if he remembers me and ask him to come aboard. Um, So, Mark, um, I know that we're just getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. So um, in that space, can I get you to tell me a little bit about how you grew up? Mm -hmm. Maybe some touch points for arts education for you as a kid? Okay, And then how you landed in the space and all the various committees, et cetera, career paths that that compose your career. I'm a tad bit busy. Yes. Um, So I'm definitely from Jacksonville, Florida. Grew up on the north side. Um, And what really inspired me to get into arts is that I love video games. So um, I would look at the video game covers and look at the books, and outside of playing them, I'm like, man, I love this artwork. Mm-hmm. And then um, I remember seeing my uncle draw. So I'm like, wait, let me try and figure out how to do that. And so those two just ended up merging together and then forming this path um, that I decided to take to pursue my love of video games and eventually making my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that led me to uh, middle school, high school. In high school, I went to early college at Lee. So that was like the first iteration of the early college program with dual enrollment. Um, And I remember during that time, I told my guidance counselor, I want to make video games. And she said, well, you have to take trig and calculus and all these maths. And I'm like, I just want to make art. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm 
not that good at math. So I don't know if this will be for me. So I just went ahead and did the research myself mm-hmm. um, and eventually found a program that I wanted to go to uh, originally full sale. But then my brother was born. So I went to Jacksonville University because they had a computer animation program. So I went there, uh, learned a lot. And in that college experience, that's when it really hit me that I wanted to teach. Like I've always loved school, absolutely loved it. Um, But being in college is when I said, you know what, this is where I would love to be at one day. Was it a professor or was it just the experience of being on a college campus? Yeah, it was the environment because I love to learn and I love school. And so just being at school with the freedom to walk around, to check out different buildings, go to the library or to the art center, whatever Mm -hmm. I wanted, it just felt it felt right at home. Mm-hmm. And then being surrounded by books or being in the studio around like canvases and art supplies, um, that just, it really filled me with a lot of happiness. And I'm like, this is something I could definitely do. Mm-hmm. So then um, I decided to go to grad school, not only because I didn't feel fully equipped to work as an animator, um, but also I needed the degree in order to teach on a collegiate level. Yes. And so um, I went to New York Institute of Technology and I, p- I picked New York specifically because I love New York. I've always had this fascination with the big city. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what? Why not? OK. Uh, took a huge leap of faith. <laughs> I learned a lot because I was up there by myself. Ah. Uh, yeah, I had one friend who I went to JU with mm-hmm. and she's originally from New York. So she was like the only one I had up there. But man, that experience taught me so much about you know, being focused, um, doing what I need to do, staying, uh, you know, pretty humbled and um, really just curious. Hmm. That's what I love the most. There Mm -hmm. was always something to do, always places to explore. Um, So then came back home after I graduated. Uh, Me and my mom had a restaurant, so I got my cooking experience. And what was interesting I would always tell myself I don't want to be the starving artist waiting tables. And I Mm. ended up being the starving artist that waited tables. Mm. But it was a humbling experience um, going from cooking and then working in a food truck, cooking there and freelancing. And so now a lot of things just kind of fell into place. Um, Worked at Channel 4 for a while and that worked out great. Um, Then I started to freelance, said I wanted to teach and it just fell into place. Like, yeah. I ended up getting a call. I did the TEDx F- uh, FSCJ event. And then afterwards, um, one of the deans was there. He said, hey, I see you have a master's, so do you want to teach? I said, yeah, but I'm not ready. He said, forget that. We're bringing you on anyway. Wow. Yeah, so, and after that. Smart, it's just, smart dude, person. That doesn't <laughs> happen to everybody, Mark. I don't know. Like, jobs yes. don't just show up and <laughs> tap you on the shoulder and insist that you come get them. Right. So, I was really Much less humbled. dream job. <laughs> really humbled and so after that it just kick-started everything so yeah. this past year and a half has been like on a thousand mm-hmm. just going at light speed so yeah that's me in a super condensed nutshell that that's a really <laughs> that's a lovely story so we have uh several touch points that are that are similar i i was in that sort of college environment and surrounded by these educators mm-hmm. and it, that love of learning and yes. then watching other people loving to promote that love of learning was very inspirational. That's when I decided that I wanted to merge my art and education Mm -hmm. piece. So I knew that uh, fairly early on, too. I have to ask you, Mm -hmm. going back to the first part of that, what are your your video games? Like, what 
uh, uh, playing versus sort of the artistic <laughs> nature. Tell me some of those inspiration ones. I'm curious. Oh, gosh. Okay, let me make sure I keep this condensed. So <laughs> I love, um, for any gamers out there, I love RPGs, which are role-playing games because they're really story-driven. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love uh, going on that adventure um, listening to this story. So I love the Final Fantasy series, mm-hmm. um, fighting games. I'm a huge Street Fighter fan. Yeah. Um, I compete whenever I'm not at work. So I go to different tournaments and mm-hmm. compete in fighting games. Um, so Street Fighter, Final Fantasy, um, this one game, a little hidden gem called Jet Set Radio Future is mm-hmm. one of my absolute favorite yeah. because it's so colorful, it's vibrant. The soundtrack was phenomenal. Wow. Um, but it really inspired a lot of my work uh digitally because before i only did black and white work Mm. and i was so afraid to explore color because i didn't know if i could do it correctly but i looked at uh jsrf or jet set radio and i said you know what let me just try some stuff yeah and i use that as my reference and it's just now i'm in love with color Mm -hmm. now it's like how do i add this to Mm -hmm. this piece or this Mm -hmm. character um, so those are definitely some of my favorite games. That'll be another conversation because <laughs> yeah. I could go for like hours. <laughs> so tell me about um, tell me w- about what a typical semester looks like uh, <laughs> for you, if you don't mind. Like, what are the students that you're getting, mm-hmm. and and then what? Are you, how are you taking them to A to where are you taking them Z mm-hmm. or B or how? What it's what's your so, goals? That's a very interesting question. Excellent question, too. I threw that at you. I did not prep you for that question. Sorry oh, it's all about good. That. I love it. <laughs> Got to be prepared. You never know. Um, a typical semester tends to be not typical, yeah. which is the, the best way to describe it yeah. because um, I work in various areas mm-hmm. being a multimedia designer. So I'm working with uh, graphic design, animation, mm-hmm. motion graphics, and illustration. So I'm teaching different courses in nearly all of those subjects. Mm-hmm. So I can go from teaching, you know, the basics of 3D animation to mm-hmm. what graphic design is to going further into it with typography, wow. only to flip around and teach a more advanced animation class. So that's my... a wide expression for those for the folks listening that might not know. Those are the varied skill sets. You yes. you either go one direction <laughs> or the other. I know a little bit. My 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 first husband was a computer animator, mm-hmm. and some of my best friends are designers. And I know that those two worlds, while they have yes. some overlap, they are very different. So to be very able to different. move it through those spaces, <laughs> it's, it's quite the accomplishment, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> like I and, and it'll be some days in class I have to shift gears because I'll go from. Um, designer or creative Mm -hmm. and i'm like crap i have to be an educator now and show all of my process rather than my shortcuts and my processes um but it's Mm -hmm. always it's always fun Mm -hmm. i love it because i'm essentially getting paid to learn yes and that's the coolest thing in the world where you know if a student has a question i may not know it Mm -hmm. but give me about a week and i will find an answer or if it's something i've taught before i'm like how can i rearrange this how can i give uh, or facilitate a more immersive experience mm-hmm. in class so instead of just doing a regular project focused on a portfolio what if we do a passion project what if we do something that you know what is what's the students feedback mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then i take that into my next semester so yeah. it's always busy um but it's so eventful Yes. Well, the reason it's not typical, it sounds like for you, is because you you flex, you listen, and and you adjust, which is which is 
in my mind, one of the best skill sets you can have to be a great educator, not just a good educator, but a great educator. So someone who sort of walks into a classroom and and, and dictates, Mm -hmm. just dumps the knowledge from their brain out and hopes people retain it, um, is only effective so much of the time. But um, educators are really thinking about, you talked about that process of breaking it down what we are doing as adults is taking this knowledge that we have that we've spent 30 some odd years building mm-hmm. 40 some odd 50 some odd years building and and trying to break it down into smaller pieces yes. and really analyze how we learned those things and then trying to get someone else to learn along exactly the same our trajectory it's so it's not it's not just giving imparting knowledge not at all <laughs> you know cuz and then my classes can range from 16 to 24 students. Yeah. So that's 16 to 24 learning styles, mm-hmm. different learning styles. So, you know, it's always um, something interesting and really being able to understand my own process. It's like, OK, that's how I learned it. This is how I approached it. Yeah. How can I make this more accessible yeah. or um, easier to digest right. for other students who may not get it just yet? And I have a background in traditional art. Mm -hmm. So drawing is my foundation. Mm -hmm. So that's how I process things. But I'm learning with certain uh, with newer students. um, They may not have that foundation. And so it almost seems to be too abstract. So when I'm talking about graphic design or even when I talk to parents, it's like, what is that? You know, I have to give examples and then explain, you know, how this stuff is made, what goes into the process and once we can break it down to layman's terms mm-hmm. or at least the bare minimum or not bare minimum, but more like a foundation, then it's able to be put into context. Right. And it helps the learning process tremendously. And that's been one of my biggest goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have students who walk into the program like what's digital media? And I'm like, well, I have 15 weeks <laughs> yes. to explain yeah. what this is. But then they have a much better understanding afterwards. So. I feel I'm doing something right. Yes, I think I think so. Thank you. And you know, one thing we talked about um, when we met um, previously, Mark, is is this idea of empathy. Mm-hmm. And so now I can't help but hear it so beautifully throughout. All, I mean, talking about even fantasy video games mm. is is taking and empathizing with a character yes. and being in that character and yes. being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And then it's making a choice about where you go to college because your mm-hmm. little brother is born and that and that you shift your life and because that's part of your life. And now I hear you talking about listening to your students, going to where they are, mm-hmm. um, and then making sure you, you build on that. So I think that leads beautifully into something we discussed before, which I, I'd love for you to talk about, which okay. is your role on the on sort of the national side of things looking at diversity and inclusion nice in um, in sort of design okay so can you tell me about that committee and then mm-hmm. a little bit about the work that you guys are doing most definitely so um, I work with AIGA um, that's Amer- that stands for the American Institute of Graphic Arts mm-hmm. and that's the professional association for design and so I work both um, we have about 73 chapters I work both locally and nationally. So nationally, my work is centered on um, diversity and inclusion, where we're advocating for more diverse and inclusive spaces, both for the design industry and design education. And so currently, um, diversity has been almost like a buzzword of sorts because everyone's talking about it. And that's great. That's the start of the conversation. Mm -hmm. But now it's how do we implement inclusion? 
Right. So diversity is having a lot of people in the audience, but inclusion is passing them the mic and, you know, what's your opinion? What do you feel? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. And uh, we do a lot of our work. Um, I'm the lead of the education committee. So the bulk of my work is focused on um, connecting with various marginalized and underrepresented schools and institutions, their design programs, and then connecting the dots from the professional organization or other professionals to the students Mm. so that way they have a path to pursue their own uh, professional endeavors. Right. Um, Some of the things we talk about, uh, STEAM, so that's what science, tech, engineering, art, and math, um, STEAM education and curricula. um, We talk about linguistic diversity. Um, Diversity expands more than just race and gender, but it's also inclusive of ability, uh, socioeconomic status, class, you know, educational attainment. There's so many levels involved that we're exploring all of these. Yeah, um, that's know, a big. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we. I think you're right. Diversity is a buzzword, and we think of it in these these um, sort of boxes of things, um, and and race and gender and sexual mm-hmm. identity and um, is is part of that conversation. But then you and I talked about all the other pieces that go into that, which yeah. um, I completely agree with. But can you give some examples and some things that don't fall into those categories that we talked you talk, You said linguistic. Oh, yeah. So like when, that? with linguistic diversity, um, that's taking into consideration that English isn't the only language mm-hmm. that we speak. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I looked up some statistics, but please feel free to correct me. <laughs> um, globally, I think the most spoken language is Chinese, mm-hmm. uh, Mandarin Chinese, then maybe English and no, I'm sorry, Hindi, then English, then Spanish. Mm-hmm. In the States, the most um, spoken language is English, followed by Spanish and then Mandarin Chinese. Mm-hmm. So there are multi- uh, multilingual people. Yes. But then also there are people who um, may not be able to speak mm-hmm. or there are people who are hard of hearing. Right. And so we'll think about American Sign Language. That's another form of communication. Right. Um, when you see videos, you have captioning. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have captions for those who are hard of hearing. So linguistic diversity is important because everyone's st- there are multiple people in this world, yes. you know, who interact with the world around them. Mm-hmm. But. It's it's important to be um, to take into consideration accessibility because yeah. we can get pretty caught up in our able bodiedness yes. or, you know, us being native English speakers. That's it's native yes. to us, but that may not be native to someone else. But that doesn't mean they don't get the opportunity to um, really engage with the world around them. So mm-hmm. that's something we think about uh, with our task force and we're figuring out how we can implement that and share that not only across our 73 chapters, but across the design industry and education as a whole. So that's one area. It's uh, no we... small, no <laughs> small undertaking. Not at all. <laughs> but I love the, 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 the steps that you talked about taking. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I think some people will look at that and get really overwhelmed and not know where to start. Right. But the, some of the things that your task force nationally is doing, like mm-hmm. targeting uh, HBCUs and yes. their design programs, connecting them with the sort of the the AIGA yes. chapters. So basically um, what we do on the education committee, uh, we're connecting HBCUs um, and HSIs or Hispanic serving institutions mm-hmm. who have design programs with their local chapters. And so it's all a 
stepping stone type of process where we build the connection or we build that bridge. And then from there, we provide resources on how the chapter can be more inclusive of, you know, these students, um, whether they come from a different racial background, cultural background, or, you know, economic background. Mm -hmm. And I see it definitely as an educator where I have students who do have accessibility with their cars to get to campus and some who don't, but they all deserve a shot, especially since they're in class, Mm -hmm. you know, so the work definitely is heavy. Yeah. You know, racial diversity, gender diversity, um, gender identity and sexual orientation. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So it can get very overwhelming. And uh, we're figuring out ways to ease people into it. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you start Mm -hmm. these conversations? And it boils down to what we talked about earlier is empathy. Yeah. You know, when we're a bit more transparent when we share a few things and we're more empathetic. Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe it opens up the doors to really understand other people, um, connect with other people, and then just build a better place and be better human beings. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that uh, someone like me who sits on my soapbox about arts education and arts and culture as a quality of life factor, teaching empathy mm-hmm. is one of the most sort of foundational points uh, for the arts and and promoting empathy. I think both Mm -hmm. arts education is sort of teaching and and having people live those experiences and then arts and culture for an adult and a community is sort of promoting that empathetic um, stance. Um, So I think that those two things fold beautifully well. So tell me about how you take all of those, because I have the same issue when I'm thinking (laughs) about like, the national piece and how do we solve the world's problems? Mm -hmm. And then like, what do I do differently tomorrow Mm. Uh, in Jacksonville, in my classroom, out when I'm walking down the street? So can you tell me about some things, maybe all of that learning, which I know you love to do? Yes. (laughs) Changes, changes your behavior or? Definitely. So um, it's Pride Month, so I'm super happy about that. Mm -hmm. And something that I've been really implementing into really my everyday language is introducing myself along with my pronouns. Yeah. So pronouns are very important, especially for those with um, varying gender identities, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I try to be more inclusive and understanding. So I'll say, Hey, I'm Mark. My pronouns are he, him, his, and go into my spiel. Like I'm an mm-hmm. artist or I'm a designer. Um, and all of that took time, mm-hmm. you know, that definitely took time to learn. Um, and that just came from a personal experience in class And also working on the task force, learning more about so many varying communities and so many varying individuals. Um, Also learning about using people-centric language. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I think of, I try to be as inclusive and I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. We all are. Yeah, we're still learning. Mm -hmm. Um, So instead of saying, you know, a blind person, maybe a person with a visual impairment. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so that way it's more people centric. Right. It's Um, putting the person before you put the descriptor, essentially. Exactly. Right. The person's the more important thing. Is that kind of. That's the way that I'm approaching Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. Um, And that's the way that I'm learning. But of course, there are always um, different sides and different perspectives. So I try not to approach my work or really my learning as this is the end all be all. Mm -hmm. Rather, this is an evolving thing, Mm -hmm. you know, much like. Language, really much like we as people, everything constantly changes and evolves and it keeps me curious. 
Yes. It keeps me wanting to know more, like, well, how does this change and how does this work? And how can I be really more respectful of a person? So mm-hmm. even a small gesture of introducing your pronouns or learning what um, why pronouns are important. Yeah. That is such a huge step and means so much to so many different people. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of saying, you know, um, a deaf person, consider saying a person who's hard of hearing. Yeah. Same thing, just being more, being nicer about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the way that I approach it. Yeah. Um, and I think those small steps, it gradually, it can build up. Yeah. It can build up into being more inclusive and being more empathetic mm-hmm. of other people who don't have the same life experiences as you do. Right. And I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever received about it is it's better to ask. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's the thing is you don't have to go around having a guessing game. You you can simply ask someone their preference. Exactly. And then you're individualizing the conversation rather than mm-hmm. sort of assuming someone wants to be called one, you know, one version of something or another, which I thought was like, um, a, a great way to approach it. Yes. Of, Asking oh. questions is always good. <laughs> Just make sure you ask them in a nice way. <laughs> That's right. Yes, absolutely. In in a empathetic way and yes. in, a, in a trying to connect way. And that something. Exactly. I think, um, you know, a lot about empathy is uh, uh, relationships and connecting with other people and even sometimes growing that connection, but also healing connection. Mm-hmm. Um and you and I talked about the the role the arts play in uh, healing yourself a yes. little bit yesterday. So, um, yes. <laughs> so uh, as we sort of end our session together, mm-hmm. um, I wonder if we might have a little conversation about that. How what the arts does for the individual, because it's certainly something we're talking about in the arts education realm. We're talking right. about safe schools. We're yes. talking about mental health counselors in schools. Mm-hmm. And then we're also talking about taking arts and music out of schools. So yes. why are those two things uh, in your mind at odds with each other? Mm. I think there is a general, um, I guess I can say, misunderstanding of the practicality of arts. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, I'll say, generally speaking, arts can be seen as, oh, that's a great hobby. or. Yes. You know, that's it's cool that you drew this or you colored this or you made this. That's a great pastime. Mm -hmm. But it's deeper than that. You know, for me personally, and it's interesting, despite being a visual artist, a lot of my personal work comes through my writing. Mm -hmm. So I love to write stories, music, poetry. If I can get it into words, it comes out much easier for me. But that's therapeutic because when you internalize a lot, it can really start to eat you up. Mm-hmm. And so the arts not only serves that purpose, it's quite frankly one of the most human things we can do. Mm. You know, arts mm-hmm. and humanity is literally the study of humanity. Yeah. And the arts dictate society much like society dictates the arts. Before we had, you know, photographs, we had to paint what society was like, mm-hmm. draw what society was like. And I think, if at least for me, um, I feel there's such a amazing quality about being a creative because you can document history in such an interesting way. Mm. You know, creating pictures or creating sculptures like that tells you what a society was like, a culture was like. And that's just mind blowing to me. So the arts 
are always important. Yeah. And they're always practical. You yeah. know, me being a designer, we think about um, problem solving and think about the traffic signs that you use to find out where you need to go. Think mm-hmm. about, you know, um, accessibility signs. Mm-hmm. Think about bathroom signs. Think about all of these these wayfinding graphics mm-hmm. that help you It's how we engage. understand our world. Exactly. Yes. That's how we and navigate. And how we communicate what we want others to do within that world as right. well. Yeah. You know, like there's layers upon layers of what art and design can truly do and we experience it every day. Yeah. You know, especially when, if you go to the grocery store, you know, and you're trying to find cereal, you're hit with so many different advertisements, so many different boxes of cereal. You know, you have your name brand, you have your great value, you have your off brand, but you're seeing all of these different images communicating various messages to you. Yeah. You know, and then you need to have signage that shows you where you need to go. Yeah. You have different graphics that show you maybe we're a better, more quality product. So there's layers to it. Yeah. Deep yeah. layers. And I feel um, it's important all the way around, not only for practicality purposes to get us to where we need to go, yeah. but then also to express how we feel. Yes. Because we don't, uh, generally it's hard to communicate, especially mm-hmm. personal stories and hardships. Mm-hmm. Um, it can get very hard to share, you know, especially being fearful of judgment. Yeah. But um, that's where the, Art can really come into play where you can express that. Yeah. Internalizing it, not the yeah. best thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think the, the arts helps us heal whether we, we make art for public consumption or not. Sometimes mm-hmm. we just make it because we need to. I know so many artists that tell me if I don't create, whether I throw it in the trash or not, but if I don't create yes. every day... I'm off. Yes. Mentally, emotionally, my, my world out. is skewed. Um, and even people who don't need that sort of saturation of time creating art, someone like me who loves being around art, I still I still need a certain amount of flow of, of art in my life for me to right. feel centered. And, um, and then for some people, I think even find it later in life. So um, we find all of these people who have had like, serious political or military jobs finding that in their later years Mm -hmm. they want to paint or they want to create music or this is rest and coping and 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 dealing um and and being mentally healthy for for all of them and i think that sometimes we wait too long to have that allow that to happen and i think that it starts with young kids that we pull that away from them we do I feel the same way. Um, I feel that when we're kids, art is celebrated. Mm-hmm. Middle school, it's like, okay, what are you going to do with this? Mm-hmm. High school completely beat out of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the ones that continue to pursue it are few and far between. Right. And you'll meet people who will say, I used to draw. I used yes. to paint. I used to play music. Well, they what? always say it with such joy in yes. their voice. It's and so regret. Mm-hmm. It's such a conflict. Because it's like, I used to do this. And then I asked, well, why don't you do it anymore? Oh, well, I don't know if it makes money or, Mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't find a job in it or I heard there were no jobs. Mm -hmm. It's like, no. Yeah, yeah. Once we get the information, you know, it's it's everywhere. Yeah. Like, you can definitely make it work. Um, And especially for if you have, like, a lot going on um, emotionally or mentally, 
Like you have 800 tabs opening your brain at all times. <laughs> yes. I totally I feel you when it's, yeah. I have to make something. <laughs> I have to make something other than these tabs. Yes. Mark, it has been such a joy talking to you. Thank, Thank you, you for coming you. in and thanks for being on the Purple Crayon Podcast. So Mark, before we uh, sign off, can you tell us a little bit about how people can find out more about you? Almost definitely. So I'm everywhere. Um, you can uh, search me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Facebook at Mark Mervin. That's at sign M-A-R-Q-M-E-R-V as in Victor I-N. And yeah, just check me out or MarkMervin.com. Toss me in Google and I'm sure you'll find some pretty awesome stuff. Thank you so much. I, I hope truly... you'll join me again sometime. Of course. And now that we have a, our new friendship budding, we'll, 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 um, We'll be starting scheming and yes. creating things together, I hope. Plotting some awesome, awesome stuff, and I look forward to it. Absolutely. Thank you again, Mark. Thanks so much. Big thanks to Mark for being here. We covered a lot of territory we knew we would, but um, I, I mean, I love Mark's thread about empathy invading every part of what he does. And I think that that is a really big foundation for success in any arena um, that we can empathize and that we can put ourselves in other people's shoes. And I think his sort of self-reflective um, sort of coping and healing through the arts uh, both helps him and the people uh, he interacts with and teaches. So uh, a beautiful lesson for all of us to have a little bit more empathy in everything that we do. Purple Crayon is produced by Brock Moore and Tim Driscoll and is part of the Essential Culture Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. <laughs>